It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, Liz Wheeler Show, episode 423, take one. The anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 terror attacks is always a surreal day, I think, for those of us who remember it. I know some of some of you watching this show were not yet born. A lot of Gen Z, this is actually the difference between Gen Z and the millennial generation. Gen Z wasn't born on 9-11, so they have no memory of it. They just read about it in the history books, which is kind of hard for me as a millennial to fathom. Maybe it's how World War II vets feel about Pearl Harbor. We weren't there. They still remember the feeling of it. It's always kind of a surreal day because everyone as individuals remembers what they were doing, who they were with, where they were, what they thought, the patriotism, the anger, the grief that kind of churns in us remembering that day. And it's also a really fascinating day to be online, especially on X, formerly known as Twitter. People share their stories. And this year particularly, I saw more stories than ever before of heroes of 9-11 whose names aren't famous, regular everyday people who who acted in just the most courageous, self-sacrificial way to save other people's lives. And it's really, it's really touching. I know X gets a lot of flack for being a toxic place where people are constantly shouting at each other and dehumanizing each other. But on September 11th, it's it's a pretty touching place to be to see people's stories. There's also a ton of conspiracy theories about 9-11 on X, which are not my favorite part of it. But the stories that people share are quite something. This might be the most interesting post that I saw about September 11th on X this year. And it's not a memory of someone who was lost, and it's not an act of heroism. It's political analysis of 9-11 22 years later that I think a lot of conservatives are just understanding the context of for the first time. I know I am, at least. And this was written by Sean Davis from The Federalist. He said, in hindsight, 9-11 looks like it might have been the beginning of the end of the American empire. It spawned the worst and most destructive foreign policy in the country's history. The government response to 9-11 birthed the constitutional abomination that is the modern warrantless surveillance state. The Patriot Act enabled the government to weaponize its vast resources against its own people. Bush's failed foreign policy led directly to Obama's presidency and indirectly to Biden's, both of which are responsible for diminishing the U.S. at home and abroad, militarily and economically. After two failed forever wars that wouldn't have happened without 9-11, our government is now desperately trying to foment potentially nuclear forever war against Russia. Meanwhile, all the massive surveillance powers claimed by the U.S. after 9-11 are being ruthlessly deployed against American political enemies of the regime via the most insidious censorship industrial complex the world has ever seen. And then there's the crippling legacy of debt enabled by America's response to 9-11. Not content to spend trillions on poorly thought out invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, our leaders spent as thoughtlessly at home creating insane amounts of new entitlements while doing nothing to put the country on a sound financial footing. And where are we today? 
the ruling political party is criminalizing its opposition and attempting to throw its top political opponent and his supporters in prison, all under the guise of quote-unquote democracy. We generally remember 9-11 as the days, as the day the towers came down. I wonder if historians will look back on it as the day that America started to fall. What do you think? I've probably read this half a dozen times today because I think he's right. I think he's correct. And I want to give kudos, actually, to the small number of people after 9-11 who were opponents of the Patriot Act, who opposed George Bush establishing the Department of Homeland Security. A lot of us forget that the Department of Homeland Security wasn't even a thing until after 9-11. It was, it was, it was instituted by Bush, an additional administrative agency, in response to the 9-11 terror attacks. And I want to give kudos to it was mostly libertarians at the time. It wasn't a lot of mainstream Republicans and conservatives who spoke out on the potential dangers of A, expanding administrative agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, but also on the surveillance that was allowed under the Patriot Act, surveillance of US citizens. Even our metadata, things that we were told weren't identifying about us unless we were talking to terrorists about terrorists or sending money to terror sponsoring states, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people issued warnings. And I think there are also a lot of conservatives and Republicans. I know that I am in this camp, and this is a mea culpa, who didn't realize the severity of those policies at the time. Now, I was only, what, 12 years old? So maybe there's some, maybe there's some justification for me not understanding the depth of how dangerous those policies were. But a lot of people, good faith conservatives and Republicans, didn't realize how quickly our government could be weaponized against us. And I think Sean Davis is correct. We are living the repercussions of policies that were implemented because of 9-11 that perhaps wouldn't have been implemented in the way that they were, except that 9-11 happened. And that, of course, brings us to the million-dollar question. We have to ask this every year. And that is, was 9-11 the result of an intelligence failure? Was this the intelligence community not listening to their sources on the ground, not, not believing the credibility of the information that about 9-11, the warnings about a terror attack that they did have? Or was this just one of those tragic, horrible things that no one, no one possibly could be expected to anticipate before it happened, and yet everyone, once it happened, wished that there was something we could have done? I'm starting to fall more in the former camp because of the complete lack of trust the intelligence community has demonstrated towards us. Something I think more Republicans, and this is, this is not me being a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in this inside job 9-11 conspiracy truthers. I don't believe any of that. That stuff's ridiculous. This was obviously carried out by terrorists. But did the intelligence community have any forewarning of this? Did they take the action they should have taken to prevent this? Or did they not? That's a question I think conservatives and Republicans, and maybe this is something for members of Congress to do even, because they're the ones who have access to this, to this type of classified information and this kind of um, investigation into the origins of how did, how did this worst attack since Pearl Harbor, how was this possible that it was committed on our homeland and that we weren't able to stop it before it happened? That's what I think conservatives should focus on if we want to actually 
prevent something like this from happening again and to hold accountable the intelligence agencies that now are abusing the powers that they were given as a result of this attack. By the way, President Biden didn't go to ground zero to commemorate 9-11, which why would... I, I don't understand any, any kind of decision-making process that would result in the president of the United States not going to ground zero on September 11th to commemorate this, but... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So Fox News very oddly defended the fact that Joe Biden was absent from the 9-11 memorial ceremony, and this was the excuse that Fox gave on air. Take a listen to this. Well, uh, our focus the last couple of days has been on President Biden here in South Asia. And when I asked the White House official why it is that President Biden was here and missing the 9-11 uh, commemorations at the attack sites, the analogy that I was given is that 22 years after Pearl Harbor, U.S. presidents were not still going to visit Hawaii. You guys have to be the ones to decide that. Is that a good excuse or is that not a good excuse? To me, that seems like the worst excuse possible. Well, after Pearl Harbor, 22 years later, presidents, you know, just went about their business. They didn't go to Hawaii. I mean, think about the difference in the context here, right? First of all, we live in the 21st century. So Joe Biden traveling from the White House to New York is probably like a 40-minute ride in Air Force One, if he even has to take Air Force One. Maybe he just takes Marine One, the helicopter up there. That takes 45 minutes. That's not a big deal. Versus back, back then, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, traveling to Hawaii was a really big deal. I mean, it's still kind of a big deal because it takes a long time to fly, but it was a really big deal for a president to do that. This is, this is the worst excuse ever. The worst excuse ever for the most disrespectful president the most, the president who's already, he's already demonstrated, honestly, what he thinks of Americans who lose their lives. He's the one who abandoned Afghanistan and abandoned our service members in Afghanistan. And as a result, 13 of them were killed by ISIS-K working in tandem with the Taliban. Meanwhile, at the Capitol, radical leftists have occupied Speaker Kevin McCarthy's office. Yes, you heard that correctly. Radical leftists have occupied the office of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Um, this is a video of it. Take a look at what they're doing. They're, they're staging a sit-in to protest the fact that Republicans are opposing legislation that they want. This is legislation related to AIDS, HIV AIDS. You can see them, they're, they're, they're occupying the office. What's very interesting about this 
What's very interesting about this would be an answer to the question, and any leftist is welcome to weigh in here, uh, particularly leftists who are celebrating the convictions of the Proud Boys for their role in January 6th. I, I, would, really, I, I would really appreciate a, an explanation for why this, what we just saw, this occupation of Speaker McCarthy's office doesn't qualify as obstruction of an official proceeding. If you are in an office in the Capitol where you are not supposed to be, and you are yelling and screaming in order to influence government officials to do something that they don't want to do, and you are stopping the, or impeding in some way, the operations of a U.S., or a member of the U.S. Congress, how is this not obstruction of an official proceeding using the definition that the Department of Justice has leveraged against January 6th defendants? How come these people aren't being thrown into pretrial detention for two years? How come they're not in solitary confinement? How come they're not being charged as seditious conspiracists trying to overthrow the U.S. government? Because isn't, isn't that kind of the same thing? Because if it's not, then, then I, I, I need the left to explain to me what the difference is between people on January 6th who were walking peacefully through the Capitol, accompanied by police officers. You know, the guy that put his feet on Speaker Pelosi's desk, he's in prison for four years. How come these people are walking free? What is the difference? The difference, of course, is just the politics of the people, which shows you that we live in a two-tiered system. So I hate to give credit to Chuck Todd because, you know, it's Chuck Todd. He doesn't deserve a lot of credit. Usually he's a, a whiny shill for the Democrat Party. However, in this particular case, he grilled California Governor Gavin Newsom about how Newsom handled COVID in California. And Chuck Todd actually asked Gavin Newsom some pretty good questions and pressed him when Gavin Newsom turned into the slime ball that he is. Take a look at this. During COVID, um, you, you were pretty strict with the lockdowns here. And uh, there was an interesting piece in Harper's that sort of was criti critical of your decisions from this perspective. You found a way to allow the motion picture industry and, Southern, and, the, and the sort of the movie industry to get back to work. But you didn't allow people to grieve together at funerals or at churches. And that it sort of, and that this may be why there's such a polarized disconnect. What, what you prioritize, right, this is this anger between the populace and the elite, supposedly. Here you prioritize this industry, but you, you know, you were tougher on those that just wanted to go worship. Um, a, what do you say to that, Chris? I think there's a lot of humility, and we didn't know what we didn't know, and it was hardly I, uh, it was we. Collectively, <laughs> and I think all of us in, in terms okay, of Okay, pause it for one second there. Pause it for one second there. So humility is the first word that he said. Humility would be admitting that you got something terribly wrong and taking responsibility for something you got wrong without trying to make an excuse for it. it is, that's why it's the same, that, that humility has the same root as humiliation because it's an embarrassing thing it is, a, it, is a, it is a mark, a bad mark on your reputation if you were so wrong about something and you shouldn't have been wrong about something. But humility is the last word that I would use to describe Gavin Newsom because the first thing he does is he doesn't take personal responsibility. He says, I, I, we're talking we here. This was collective action we took. Governor Newsom, let me remind you, I lived in San Diego at the time, and I know that you're going to blame this on local officials, but local officials wouldn't have been allowed to do this had you done your duty as governor and prohibited this kind of lockdown. The, I lived a mile from the beach in San Diego. I lived in Pacific Beach, San Diego. The beaches were closed down. I walked half a block from my house up the hill 
to Kate Sessions Park. You guys can all look this up so you understand what Kate Sessions Park is. It is a steep hill covered entirely with grass. It's a park that people like to bring their dogs to. And I walked from my house to Kate Sessions Park in the middle of a sunny afternoon, 75 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. I sat down on the grass in Kate Sessions Park. Not a soul was within 200 yards of me. Not another soul. And a police officer on an ATV comes careening over the top of the hill, stops his ATV next to us. Keep in mind, he's the only person that we have been within 200 yards of, let alone six feet. And he says, it's illegal for you to be here. And I was like, illegal for me to be here? He says, it's illegal for you to be in the park right now. And I said, why? And he said, because the COVID lockdowns are prohibiting people from sunbathing in the park. And I wasn't even sunbathing. I was just sitting there on the grass. Yes, in the middle of the summer, in the sun. Well, it wasn't the summer, but San Diego is always summer. In the middle of the sun, he made us leave the park. The San Diego police made me leave Kate Sessions Park sitting on the grass because of the lockdowns in California. Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom, this was not collective action. This was action taken from the top that trickled it down. You enabled and empowered local jurisdictions to lock us in our homes. And no, we didn't learn something. We didn't know. This, this excuse that people give that, oh, well, we know differently now than we did then. No, 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 no. We knew at the time that respiratory viruses don't transmit when you are more than 200 yards away from someone else in the middle of the sun in an outdoor space. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We've known this for a long time. We didn't just learn about germs. We didn't just learn about viruses. But this excuse, anytime you hear this excuse from any politician, you know they're trying to dodge responsibility because we knew enough. I knew enough. And I wasn't even the governor. I knew enough at the time to tell you the World Health Organization is wrong on their infection fatality rate. This is not impacting children anyway, that you are only at high risk of this if you are old or obese, and that masking, social distancing, and lockdowns do not work, and that is why they were never recommended in public health literature. It was just a new power grab from people like Gavin Newsom, who, by the way, didn't believe in his own lockdowns, because what was he doing while we were all prohibited from doing anything? He was dining with his friends at the French Laundry, maskless, congregating with other people while us sorry people were prohibited from even dining out with our family and friends. Let's restart the video. We've evolved. We didn't know what we didn't know. We're experts in hindsight. We're all geniuses But think now. about what, we pri what, you pri what you ended up collectively prioritizing. You're prioritizing yeah. industry, you know, well, in one, and one specific one, 
but then didn't prioritize maybe ones that whose maybe values you didn't connect with? I don't think it's a binary. There was iterations within that theme. There was, there was fits and starts. There were regional frameworks mm -hmm. uh, that had impacts more broadly defined. There were more industry-specific uh, uh, frameworks. All of us went through a process. I mean, there was few states that didn't go into aggressive lockdowns, including uh, Florida's Ron DeSantis. No, I understand that, but it was and, more but of... With, but within the framework who, of the Who industries. opened the door? It's what industry got? Yeah. leniency in which, yeah, which no, one's all of it is All of it is legitimate in terms of reflection. All of it right. is legitimate in terms of processing lessons learned. We went through a process. I actually had at Sunnylands, which is the Camp David on the West Coast. Right. We brought together experts across the spectrum, people that supported our efforts, mm -hmm. people that opposed them, international experts. And we spent three days really reflecting, stress testing what we did right, what we did wrong. We're actually putting out a report as it relates to our own lessons learned. I think this country would do well to advance a similar construct, not through the lens or prisms of an ideology, uh, but through you the framework. You think there should be almost of, like a 9-11 commission on what well, lessons learned from been, this pandemic? There's been versions of that, mm -hmm. uh, but they're immediately dismissed within the prism of our partisan frame. And right. so I'm at least trying to work across that and in context of all what our local... What is something you do differently? Well, I think oh, no oh, we would have done everything differently because we understood. We would understand outdoors, as an example. Class. The nature. You want to shut schools down? You to try to figure out how to maybe have outdoor classrooms. No, that's not. Well, now you're getting. I'm, I'm being. I'm, but but right. I think the nature of the spread early on, and understanding epidemiology of that spread, understanding mm -hmm. the spread in the context of how it spread very differently indoors mm -hmm. than outdoors, is one perfect example. Of what a lot of us would have done differently, including again in states, red okay. states. Okay. Okay. Let's stop right there. Beach. Let's stop right there. First of all, he's doing it again. He's saying, oh, we didn't understand. Well, if you're too dumb to understand viruses, we've had viruses for, we've known about how viruses are transmitted for hundreds of years. If you're too dumb to know that, then you're not qualified. This is what really burns me up about this guy is he's talking about reflections. He doesn't mention the word accountability. So what's reflection? Like, oh, let me just journal about the mistakes I made. And then he said, you should engage in self-reflection. We all should. No, dude, you're the one that was in charge. You're the one that was a tyrant during COVID, you should be held accountable. It has nothing to do with just you learning from your mistakes. You messed up, you ruined people's lives, you should be out of there, out of there. And like I said, kudos to Chuck Todd. I didn't know he had it in him to actually ask decent questions, but he certainly did there. So the US Open, this was one of the funniest things. I didn't get a chance to watch it this past weekend, although I, could, I was following along mostly on um, X, formerly known as Twitter, but Novak Djokovic, you're familiar with that name because he's not only one of the best tennis players in the entire world, he was barred from playing in the U.S. Open last year because he declined the COVID vaccine and he wasn't allowed to enter the United States because he is not a U.S. citizen. You remember this. And he stuck to his guns, which I was very impressed by. I have a ton of respect for people who are willing to stand by their principles, even when it means, in this case, probably losing out on another U.S. Open title. Novak Djokovic, nonetheless, stuck to his guns. He did not cave. He did not get the COVID vaccine. Well, finally, the U.S. rescinded their vaccine mandate for entry into the United States for foreign nationals. So Novak Djokovic was allowed to play in the 2023 U.S. Open. He won. He's an incredible tennis player. At the end of the match, there is a featured shot of the day. It's usually the winning shot that shows, you know, the champion actually emerging as a champion. And this is the shot of the day, but please, please 
listen very closely to who is the sponsor of this shot of the day. Take a look. Uh, oh, boy. Well, we'll take you to the Moderna shot of the day, and it was saving the, the match point. point. Oh, the match. match point to get to number 24. There were a lot of shots that were highly impactful. But here's the final one. <laughs> relief and release there. And there it is. He won. So the shot of the day brought to you Shaking by hands with his opponents. The shot of the day brought to you by Moderna. Brought to you by Moderna. That is the height of poetic justice. I could not be more thrilled that Djokovic won the US Open, specifically so we could get that video clip of the Moderna shot of the day with the unvaxxed Djokovic winning that spot. And this, um, the status where we found, or that post on X where we found that, or saw that video, look at this caption. It says, seems Novak knows how to pick his shots both on and off the court. <laughs> Excellent pun, excellent pun, excellent pun. Meanwhile, Sports Center. If we could bring this up on the screen. So on the women's side of the U.S. Open, SportsCenter described Coco Goff winning the women's U.S. Open. It says Coco Goff took a moment to soak it all in after winning her first Grand Slam, Grand Slam title. However, soak it all in is interesting verbiage for SportsCenter to choose given what Coco Goff actually did. So let's play this video and I'll narrate it for those of you who aren't watching. She gets off of her chair. She kneels before her chair, folds her hands, bows her head, obviously praying, could not be clearer that this woman dropped to her knees to thank the Lord for the victory that she just obtained with the body that, that God created her with. And yet all Sports Center can say is she took a moment to soak it all in. No, 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 no. She was praying. She was praying to God. She was praying to Jesus Christ. And you can't bring yourself to say that because our culture is so anti-Christian that they can't even acknowledge that the vast majority of us are still active, practicing Christians here. So this was an interesting post that I found on X. It went viral. It was from a left, it's from a leftist named Robert Reich. He is a Berkeley professor. He's also the former US Secretary of Labor. And I want to respond to this because I do think that this is, is uh, warrants a response, not just from me, but from every conservative possible. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. So Robert Reich is a Berkeley professor. 
which kind of right there tells you all you need to know. He's also the former Secretary of Labor. And he made a post on X that went viral. It's been viewed by over two and a half million people. And this is what he said. He said, the next time you hear conservatives use any of the following terms, ask for a definition, they won't have any. The terms he listed are woke, critical race theory, cancel culture, and socialism. He then goes on to say, they just want to stoke culture wars to divert attention from economic looting and oligarchy. So economic looting and oligarchy, he's you know, referring to the free market economy here. But I, I do think this is actually an important point to bring up. The, the definitions of these terms are important. It's important for us as conservatives to understand them. We've talked about this as it relates to the word woke, um, especially because over the past couple months, there have been instances where conservatives haven't been able to define the word woke because, and it, it's not necessarily a, a, a reflection on conservatives' lack of understanding of what wokeness is. It's something that we can more a lot of us just recognize, we know that that's woke when we see it, even if we can't give an academic definition of it. However, an academic definition is still really important. So I'd like to offer some definitions um, to Robert Reich for, the de- for wh- what these terms mean. The word woke or wokeness is just the modern euphemism for Paulo Freire's critical consciousness. Paulo Freire is a Brazilian Marxist who I discuss at length in my book, hide your children, exposing the Marxists behind the attack on America's kids. And he contended that there's no such thing as knowledge. There's no such thing as as truth. What teachers teach to children in school, this was his contention, is just the prevailing political narrative. Whoever is the winner of the political narrative competition gets the claim on the word knowledge. And he said, given that that just makes schools political indoctrination centers, he said what teachers should do is should teach children critical consciousness or how to view the world. Well, critical consciousness is just uh, another word for viewing the world through a lens of Marxism. So Paulo Freire's critical consciousness, we now call this wokeness in the United States. It's just the idea that you're looking at something uh, through this lens where you are constantly labeling certain groups as oppressors and other groups as oppressed. It's a classic Marxist dialectic. And I know that's very academic. I know you all understand this and we've talked about it at great length. It is important for conservatives to be able to articulate this because that's what we're seeing in the United States. It's not just this random made up word for a concept of crazy, insane things. No, no, this is actual Marxism that came from a specific person who constructed a specific strategy for how to uh, train young people through the public school system to be Marxist revolutionaries. So that's the definition of the word woke. The definition of the word critical race theory, critical race theory is the grandchild of Max Horkheimer's critical theory. Max Horkheimer was a Marxist, a neo-Marxist at the Frankfurt School. Critical theory is essentially the idea that you can destroy a prevailing narrative by relentless criticism. He also rejected the idea of objective reality. He also, like Paulo Freire, believed that uh, truth was truth wasn't really objective truth. Truth was just the prevailing political narrative. Uh, and so he contended that you could you could destroy institutions by, by la- leveraging uh, constant criticism at them and, and, and placing them within this Marxist dialectic of oppressors or oppressed. Critical race theory just applies that to race, which is exactly why we see children in the United States in public schools being told they're racist just because they're whites. They are being labeled as the oppressors based on the color of their skin. Black children are told they're oppressed. Uh, They are being labeled the oppressed, obviously, based only on the color of their skin. This is, critical race theory is a neo-Marxist theory. 
that's the definition of it. Cancel culture is either social ostracization or censorship intended to enforce a radical leftist ideology in our institutions. It's intended not only to silence dissenters, but to frighten everyone else into not speaking out against radical leftist ideology. And socialism, of course, this perhaps is the most elementary definition of all, but it is government control of the means of production and distribution, which is exactly what the radical left, people like AOC and Bernie Sanders outright admit this, but the radical left, this is what they want. They don't believe in private property. They want the government to be in control of everything. So those are my definitions. You can add to my definitions. You can criticize my definitions, but we should have these tucked away in our minds when people like Robert Reich make these, make these uh, baseless claims that conservatives don't know the definitions to these words. It's not only important that we do know them, we actually do know them. And once we know them, we can play offense against people who believe this toxic poison and are trying to impose it on our country. Guys, thanks for watching today. Thanks for listening. Make sure you pick up your copy of my upcoming book. It's coming out in two weeks. Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids. You can go to hideyourchildrenbook.com. Get your copy. It'll be to you in two weeks. Two weeks. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.